Well, once again, Merry Christmas. I love to see kids at Christmas. I love everything about kids at Christmas. I love the smiles. I love the laughter. I love the unwrapping of the presents, throwing stuff around. I love the temper tantrums. I love the joy. I love everything about it. One thing I really, really love about Christmas is watching uh, kids turn adults into kids again. And when you see an adult get around a child and they start kind of forgetting about all of life's troubles, all of life's difficulty, and they're just enjoying the, the innocence and the joy of, of simply being a child at, at Christmas. There's, there's something about the power of a child. And it's part of what we want to talk about today. And uh, recently, a few months back, I got to see it in, in a way I had never seen it before. In, in 2001, one month after the 9-11 uh, disaster, catastrophe for our country, uh, after 43 years of marriage, my, my dad passed away. And I don't know that my mom was ever really the same. And, and those of you who have lost a, a spouse, you know, you know what that's like. You're only making half as much coffee. Your food shopping is different. Everything is, is different. Everything has changed. And then almost four years ago, in a, in a complete shocker, uh, my, my little sister, who was only 47, she went to bed one night. Her husband kissed her goodnight, and the next morning, uh, he went to go kiss her goodbye, and she was gone. And, and she had passed away in her sleep, and we were shocked. And, you know, I remember being concerned for my mom, uh, thinking, boy, that's a, that's a lot for, for a mother. And some of you know that pain to to lose a spouse and to lose a, a child. But this year, I, I got to see the, the power of a child in a unique way. I got to see my mother, who really has never been the same since either one of those deaths, I got to see my mother hold her first great-grandchild, our little prince, as I call him, Noah James. And when my mother held him, it was like the life came back into her. It was like all of our time of trying to console my mom and trying to help my mom. It was, it was all of a sudden, in just a moment, she held that baby, and, and my mom was back again. It was the power of that little child. He, 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 he brought back to my mom some comfort, brought some peace, and if you will, brought some light into her life. You know, years ago, uh, people tried to hide their pain. Those of you who are older, you, you know that. You always, no matter what was going on, you, you said everything was okay all the time. But now, and I'd have to maybe add a thank God to it, uh, it's very common just to, in normal conversation, people talking and they go, well, my therapist says the same thing or my, my counselor says the same thing. Others, when they experience tremendous grief or loss in their life, they join support groups, and those things have had a tremendous effects on people in a, in a very good and positive way, especially in days that seem dark, especially around the holidays, times that can seem very dark for all of us as we remember loved ones or, or maybe people we are estranged from. Today, our world is, is very complicated. They, they tell us the economy is good, but I know a lot of people that are economically hurting. The, they, they, we look at our political system, and our political system is clearly broken. 
You look at all of the gun violence that is going on in our culture. Look at the, the anger of people. People are just getting angry about all kinds of things. Other people are, are sad. Other people are lonely. And again, this time of year, while it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, often for a lot of people is the most difficult time of the year. Yet scripture tells us the historical account of a child, a child who is given to the world, the one we know as the Christmas child. This child, we're told, brings light into the darkness. He brings uh, wisdom into the foolishness. He brings comfort into the pain. He brings love into the hate. He brings calm into the unrest. He brings his presence into the loneliness. And as we're going to see today, he brings good government into the swamp. Isaiah was a prophet of the southern kingdom, the area known as Judah, where Jerusalem was. And he, he wrote over 700 years before Jesus was born. And and he wrote this in Isaiah 9, 6. We just read it. We'll read it again. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When it says his name, as in ancient thinking, the name had to do with your character of who you are. So these are characteristics of the of this child and and today we're going to just focus on one of them the wonderful counselor on next sunday we will focus on the mighty god and everlasting father and on christmas eve we will focus on the prince of peace and so the title of our message today is uh, the christmas child wonderful counselor so what's going on that isaiah would write this and why in the world does he write it over 700 years before jesus is born well, about this time, the, the savage Assyrian war machine is on the move. The Assyrians were the world superpower, uh, well known for being merciless to, their, to the people that they uh, you know, went to war with. And King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem is, and he doesn't know what to do. Now, how many of you think that's a good time to go to the wonderful counselor? That's a, that's a good time to go somewhere for some good, solid advice, but, but he, he's really not sure what to do. Now, up north in the northern kingdom, Israel, there was a split between uh, you know, the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Well, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, they, they, Syria itself, not Assyria, made an alliance against Assyria. And part of their plan was they were going to go down south, they were going to take over the southern kingdom, and they were going to kick King Ahaz out. So King Ahaz has to think about what he is going to do. So he decides the best idea is to form an alliance with the savage world superpower Assyrians. And so the prophet Isaiah comes along. He, he comes in and he speaks to the king. And a lot of times the, the prophets were pebbles in the shoe of the kings because when the kings were doing their own thing, they would tell them what, what the word of God was. We often say around here, when the prophets speak, God speak. And in Isaiah 7, 7, I'm going to paraphrase it. 
Isaiah basically just says this, forget about it. Forget about the alliance with Assyria. Forget about the alliance with the guys up north and, and Syria itself. Forget about that. Here's my counsel. Do not be afraid. Trust in the Lord. Do not be afraid. Trust that the Lord is going to deliver his people. Make your alliance not with a nation of war, but make your alliance with the warrior God, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. Make your alliance with him, and it will be okay. In chapter 7, verse 9, at the end of the verse, Isaiah says this to them. He says, if you, interesting, that word you is plural. There's a lot of problems going on in the southern kingdom now. They're the better of the kingdoms, but there's a lot of problems going on now. But if you will not believe, if you will not trust the Lord, surely you shall not be established. Another Bible version puts it this way and translates it this way. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Another one says, if you do not stand in your faith, you will not stand at all. Good counsel, isn't it, from the prophet Isaiah? Yet, because of fear, runs a lot of our lives, doesn't it? Because of fear, because of of doubt, because of, of compromise in the things of God, King Ahaz has developed what we would call a hard heart towards God, and he won't trust in the Lord. He takes out the paper, he looks at the, what's going on, and he, and he trusts in only what he can see. He can see that the Assyrians are more powerful than everybody else, and maybe he needs to align himself with them. And then the Lord comes along and does something he almost never does. He has Isaiah say to Ahaz, ask me for a sign. Don't you wish God would do that with us? You having trouble right now? Ask me for a sign. I'll let you know. Now, I think he does give us a lot of signs. I call them grace markers a lot of times. But, But he says, give me a sign. Now, King Ahaz was raised in the faith, and, and so he tries to sound all religious. And he says, I will not test the Lord. But if the Lord offers you a sign, then it's not a test. Just, just take the sign. Just, just take it. But the real reason is what Isaiah said in chapter 7, verse 9, if you will not believe, he will not believe. Now, there's a small group of people that believe. They're called the remnant. And Isaiah challenges Ahaz to to join the people who believe. But but Ahaz's mind is made up. He doesn't want the Lord's advice, and he doesn't want the Lord's counsel. What does he want? He wants to do what most of us want to do. I'm going to do what makes the most sense to me. In other words, I'm going to take my own counsel. Oftentimes we take our own counsel. And how does it turn out? How's that working for you? That's what I always say to people. How's that working for you? You go against God and and think maybe you can win. Maybe you can temporarily, but you will not long term. In fact, the Lord actually says that he's growing weary over the unbelief of the people. And this is what he says, Isaiah 
7.14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. The question is, when is it going to come? I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, some people at the time would have thought a virgin was just a young woman. Well, there's nothing miraculous about that. It's not a sign. Babies are being born every day. So there's something special about this sign. You see, eventually God's plans and purposes will come to pass to all who believe. But the interesting thing is that some of his promises, that while while they are promised and given to those who believe, they are also judgment upon people who don't believe. And so since the people didn't believe, they didn't want God's sign, we're told that over 700 years later in Matthew's gospel, that they shall call his name Emmanuel, as Isaiah wrote, that Matthew tells us that it was Jesus and Emmanuel means God with us. And so because they did not believe, there was a long waiting period. As we move into chapter 8, things look even worse. I think the best way to describe it is the term fearful gloom. Merry Christmas, right? Fearful gloom. Chapter 9, though, paints a picture of a new day. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are the first two places the Assyrians attacked. And afterward, more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that's a little difficult to interpret. The English Standard Version uh, makes it a little clearer for us, and they translate it this way. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, because they were attacked first. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So the people, led by King Ahaz, chose their own way rather than God's way, and they made an alliance with the world superpower, Assyria. Anybody want to know what the big surprise is? The Assyrians were fine with making the alliance, and then they stabbed them in the back. Can you imagine a world power lying in negotiations? Like, oh, yes, you'll turn off the sanctions if we sign that paper? Where do we sign? We'll sign as many times as you want. Yeah, they made an agreement with them, and then they stabbed them in the back. They didn't take them over. They would eventually be defeated by an angel of the Lord. But, but they did attack those two areas, Zebulun and Naphtali, first. Now, again, back in chapter 7, verse 14, we're told that the child sign would be to show the people of God that God is trustworthy, that the Messiah was coming. Back then, 700 years before Christ, they said, no. But then something changed. And Matthew in his gospel tells us, using the same scriptures, that Emmanuel, God with us, came on that first Christmas morning. So how gracious is God? How gracious is Jesus? If you read Matthew's gospel, uh, the good news of gospel, Matthew was one of the guys who traveled around with Jesus, one of the apostles. We read in Matthew chapter 4 about the start of his ministry. Guess where he goes to preach first? Zebulun and Naphtali. 
You know, the people who for 700 plus years thought they were the forgotten people. God let them get, you know, fried up by the Assyrians, that God had forgotten them. God didn't care about them. And in each year, those of us who know the backstory, and now some of you know the backstory. Those of us who know the backstory, Christmas reminds us that though we may have given up on God, God does not give up on us. I'm sure there was a lot of bitterness over centuries in that land. I'm sure there was a lot of people saying, why us? If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to welcome you here. We're glad that you're here. We're, I'm actually thrilled that you're here. I, I was uh, not born Pastor Jim. I was a person invited to a church like this in my, in my late 20s. And so we're glad that you're here to hear these things. Maybe you're someone who is here and you'd say, well, I am a Christian, but here's my problem. I'm struggling. I, I can't even get out of bed to go to church. I, I don't open up my Bible. I, I, don't, I don't really pray too much anymore. I, I believe, but if you were to follow me around in my life, you would think that maybe I don't believe. I, I kind of live my life like an unbelieving believer. I'm, I'm, at a, I'm, at a, I'm in a difficult spot. Well, let me tell you this. You may have forgotten God, but God has not forgotten you. Your very being here today is a reminder that he has not forgotten you. Verse 2 is important. I want to read it twice. The first time I'll just read it through and then I will interrupt it terribly. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. So talking about those people in those two lands, Zebulun and Naphtali, they, they they had, they, they had walked in darkness. They had seen a great light. They had lived in the shadow of death, but then the light had shined among them when Jesus went to preach to them first. So he says here, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness. Interesting that the scripture defines people who live their lives without God as people who walk in darkness. People who live in darkness. And the word there is for a pitch black darkness. You know that when it's darker than dark. And so they walked in darkness. Isaiah had come along and said, hey, let's make an alliance with God. And Ahaz was like, are you kidding? And guess what happened? Ahaz decided he was going to make a trip to Damascus. And he was going to negotiate with the Assyrians. And when he was there, he observed some of their religious practices. They were what we call pagans. God always told his people, stay away from them. Stay away from them. He walks right into the, the den of paganism, does a little tour, you know, around town, and brings some of that back to Jerusalem. And so now they're mixing Judaism and the pagan practices of the Assyrians. We call that syncretism. So the people who walked in darkness have, have seen a great light. Very interesting that God uses the past tense when speaking of the future. So Isaiah is writing this 700 years before the great light comes. But God, who is out of time, is speaking about it as if it has already happened. That great light is Jesus, the Messiah, the, the blessings that the Christmas child brings. He says, those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You know, it's like when you have a blackout or something like that, you find a flashlight or if, if you're lost and all of a sudden a, a light comes on. You ever been lost in the woods 
and you're trying to find something, and then you see the light of a house or something like that, and you're like, oh, I'm home. And so these people who, who lived in darkness had seen this great light. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in the New Testament after Jesus ascended into heaven, Second uh, Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, to see the light, you, you must see who Jesus really is. You must see that he is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So he is the God-man, truly God, truly man. And, and you can only know God personally by looking into the face of Jesus Christ in the word of God, by putting your trust and your faith in Jesus well, having seen this light, verse 3, he continues to write, you, talking about God, have, have multiplied, some of your versions say, enlarged the nation and increased its joy. So the coming of this child brings joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. Now, for us, we want food. What do we do? Well, we just go to the store or now we order it online. It's not something we really worry about. We're not overly concerned with it. But back then, food was an amazing thing. A good harvest would be a great celebration. They were dependent on the, on the rain and, 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 the, and the sunshine and, and the soil being good and the seed being good and enemies not coming in and destroying the crops. Because a lot of times what they would do is if they couldn't get to a city, they would starve them out. And so that, this coming of this child, this Messiah, will bring more joy than a great crop. He goes on, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. There will be more joy when this child comes and brings in his kingdom than, than winning a battle, than taking the treasure of the, from the people that you've defeated in battle, than taking their weapons and their provisions. Verse 4, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. There he's talking about the Old Testament leader, Gideon, who with a small army defeated mighty oppressors. You might say that they, they have, once they see the light of the Messiah, that they have been released from the oppression by him. For us, we might say it's the oppression of, of sin and the oppression of addictions and the the, all the oppression that is upon our lives upon hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Isaiah wants us to see that the Christmas child brings a liberty, brings a freedom to us that produces joy. You know, sometimes I hear people will say to me like, oh, this Christian life, it's too constraining. I said, I've never felt more free in my life. I've never felt more free in my life. Verse 5, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. When they win the battle, they'll just take off their garments that they needed for the war. They'll be so excited and they're just going to throw it in the fire. And, but the Messiah will bring more joy than a war that is over. More than, more than liberty, the Christmas child brings victory. In Christ's case, it was victory over death. And that victory produces joy. And then our verse, for unto us a child is born. Very interesting. We might think that it's, that it's, that it's for unto us that is the emphasis. But the emphasis is on the word child. 
because joy is found, the joy of Christmas is found in the child. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God's one and only son. Now you could picture some people, maybe if they got an early copy of the manuscripts, maybe Isaiah said, hey, want to review my, my book for me and you know, let me know you write a, write a endorsement on the back or something like that. Or later on, people would be in captivity in Babylon and would be reading this and thinking to ourselves, you know, here's the problem. God told us a child would be born. We didn't need a child. We need a leader. We needed a warrior. But for us, a ch- unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government that has to do with the kingdom will, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. And, and, and these, are, these are not names. This is what will he be like? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of poor, peace. So very interesting that God is, Isaiah is writing in the future, but God is having him write as if it has already happened. And so there is the joy of freedom, the joy of liberty. There is the joy of victory. But here is the joy of the child who has already come. Verse 7, of the increase of his government, that word is Hebrew for the government of a prince, and uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So now we've moved far beyond our time. We've gone from 700 plus years B.C. to to Jesus's birth to far beyond our time into the eternal. You say, how will that happen? He tells us at the end of verse seven, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. No human can do this. Only God himself. So, you know, if you come around our church, we we use different church words. We talk about different words, and I try not to use them, define them the same way every time to give us a different look at it. So today we want to talk just a little bit about faith. So just imagine you're one of those people, and the Assyrians, you know they're coming. They're coming. You know the other guys are coming too. Both people want to own your property. You know you have no chance of beating them. And you're afraid. You're anxious. Maybe that's your life today right now. Maybe you have some sort of an illness or, or you're worried about a particular child or you, you're, you're worried about your job and, and something's going on in your life and you are anxious, you are worried, you, you are concerned. So today we're going to define faith as this. Faith is resting our hearts in God. I love the way that feels. Faith is resting our anxious hearts, our overburdened hearts, our painful hearts, our aching hearts in God. But King Ahaz will have nothing of it. He will not listen to the Lord. He will not put his trust in the Lord. And he will pay the consequences for it, as will the people that he oversees. And that is the story of many people, isn't it? That is the story often sometimes of those of us who who would say we follow Jesus, failing to listen to the Christmas child, failing to listen to the wonderful counselor, 
Now, that word wonderful is different than we use it. You say to yourself, well, did you have a nice time? You go, oh, it was wonderful. That's not the same way we, this word is used here. This word wonderful is a Hebrew word that is associated with something that only God can do. It is associated with something that is supernatural, that is something that is divine. It literally means something that is incomprehensible from a human point of view. And in that sense, the Christmas child fills us with wonder. Did you ever see a sign or a play or a show that that calls itself the wonder of Christmas? And you think, what do you mean? I, I, I buy a bunch, I get stressed out, I buy a bunch of stuff, and then I pay the bill in January. What's so wonderful about that? But now you know what the wonder of Christmas is. Something supernaturally done by God at a moment in time in a little town called Bethlehem when Jesus would be born, the Christmas child would be born of a virgin. You know, the Old Testament often talks about the the wonders and wisdom of God. In verse 6, we see one here where it says that, that this child will carry the government on his shoulder. He, he will shoulder the load of the government. You say, how can he do it? Well, Isaiah 28, 29 says that the Lord is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Wouldn't you love access to someone like that? Isn't it amazing that God gives us 24-7 access to him who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance? You know, when we combine the words wonderful and counselor, we basically say that this child will instruct us with wisdom that comes from God. It will not be earthly wisdom. It will be divine, supernatural wisdom. So the Christmas child has the role of giving us wise insight and the truth. So wise will his insight be that people will hear him speak. We have his words in the four Gospels. If you want to read them on your own, you should. That's how you get to know the person of Jesus. So wise they would say things like, nobody ever spoke like this man. We never heard anything Even the religious elite said, where did this man get this wisdom? At the age of 12, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem and he's spinning the heads of the religious leaders because he is so wise. His wisdom is so incredible. It points to his divinity. As we're going in the new year, we're studying the gospel of Matthew. We're going to see Jesus. We're almost at the point where Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And every time they try and trick him, he just looks at them and he turns them on their head. And he outsmarts them. And they're like, how does he do this? He's so wise. And it's easy for us to forget about that. You know, when it comes to our own lives and Jesus guiding us, it's in addition to his wisdom, it's easy for him. You know why? Because he knows us inside and out. Some of you are going through health issues. And you're going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And you see this specialist, and, uh, you know, some will say they don't know, but most go, oh, yes, that's what I treat. And then you go to the next doctor, and they go, oh, yes, that's what I treat. 
And you go through 15, 20 doctors, and they, it's all what they treat. And then you're like, I'm one hot mess. I have 15 or 20 different things. But here's the thing about the wonderful counselor. His diagnosis is never wrong. He knows you and everything about you so intricately. He is never wrong, and he always knows how to set you on the right path and to keep you on the right path. And how do we know he knows how to do it? Well, here he tells us he gives us God's plan written far in advance that Jesus Christ is the, is the way to heaven. And he shows us the way. He is the way and he shows us the way and he shows us how to live on earth. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that without following the wonderful counselor, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many diplomas you have, no matter what you got on the SATs, no matter how successful you are in your professional endeavor, no matter how big your portfolio is, without following the wonderful counselor, you are still walking in darkness. Jesus said this, John eight twelve. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. You're out. You've come out of the darkness if you're following Jesus, but have the light of life. Now, interesting, when the Bible talks about life, when we talk about life, we talk about the here and now. Often, usually when the Bible talks about life, it's, it's talking about eternal life. It's the life here and now, but it's also the next life. And here Jesus is telling us that a follower of his will never even walk into the darkness of death. You will always be walking in the light. To follow Jesus is to trust him with your very life. Your life now and your life in this world and your life after this world. To follow Jesus is to trust him in all of your difficulties, in all of your battles, in all of your sin, in all of your heartbreak, in all of your darkness, in all of your oppression. It's even to trust Jesus with your death. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But here's a big step that needs to happen for all of us if that's going to be our fate. You have to stop governing yourself. You see, it said that the government will be upon his shoulders. And part of being a follower of Jesus, a heaven-bound follower of Jesus, is someone who takes the weight of the world off their own shoulders. Aren't you getting tired of carrying it? You know, I, one of my favorite expressions to God is this. Something comes across my desk or to, is brought to me, and I'm like, oh, God, you've got a big problem with this one. <laughs> and so you take the, the government off your shoulders, and you put it on Christ's shoulders. You stop trusting in your own counsel and you begin to trust in his counsel. That doesn't mean you throw out common sense.
but that means that you're seeking him in what to do. When you put your trust in the Christmas child, Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor, light will come into your heart. And he will change you if you let him and you want him to. Many of us have seen counselors. There is no shame in going to see a counselor. And, and, and the thing about, and some counselors are good counselors and some are not so good, but the thing about the, the wonderful counselor is he is 100% wise and he is always right. He is never wrong. Maybe some of us here today need to hear the counsel that Ahaz got from Isaiah. Don't fear. Don't doubt. Don't worry. Don't compromise. Trust in God. Lean heavily upon him and let him counsel you. You know what the real counsel was to Ahaz? Do nothing. Wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So how often should you go to this wonderful counselor? I go to counseling every day. Some of you are like, Jim, you should go more times a day. (laughs) You need it. And I know that I, I, I need to hear counsel from God because, you know, it, it's, it's easy to sometimes maybe look like in life you know what you're doing and have no idea what you're doing. I'll give you a, a sample of one of my uh, favorite counseling sessions. This is one that I often have with, with Jesus where he speaks to me. Matthew six thirty one through 34. Therefore, do not worry, Jim. Your Bible would have your name in it. (laughs) Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the, the Gentiles seek. Those would be unbelieving people. After all those things they seek. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that interesting that your heavenly father, if you're a follower of Jesus, knows all the things that you need. But instead of worrying, Jim, instead of worrying, plug your name in. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, or because of that, because God is there for you, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Each day has its own trouble, doesn't it? Now, he's not saying we don't prepare for tomorrow. He's not saying we just, you know, are irresponsible. We do what we have to do for tomorrow. 
but we leave the worrying to God. We do our best and we commit the rest because today has enough for us to worry about and to bring it to our wonderful counselor. And when tomorrow comes with all of its worries, guess what? His office will be open because it's open all of the time to his own. Some of you might be wondering if you're not a follower of Jesus, say you say, Pastor Jim, will, will this Christmas child, will this wonderful counselor, will this savior, will this God-man, Jesus Christ, will, will he accept me? I could remember thinking that myself, thinking about the, the, the weight of my sin needed to get off my shoulders and onto the cross of Jesus Christ and, and wondering if he would ever accept me. Jesus said this, John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That means that no matter what you have done, if you simply come to him, he says, I will not cast you out. I will receive you in. I will take you in. I will make you my own. I will be your wonderful counselor. I will take care of you. So come to Jesus today if you never have. And heaven will accept you just the way you are. But God loves us all so much. He takes us the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. Today, may we all come to the Christmas child who brings salvation and joy, who brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life to our souls. Today, may we all come to the Christmas child who brings comfort and peace to our broken hearts, who brings comfort and peace to our weary hearts who brings comfort and peace to our worried hearts today may we all come to the Christmas child the wonderful counselor who's always with us and always shows us the way to God my dear friends today will you put your trust in the wonderful and wise counselor this Christmas season and into next year, will you put your trust in the wonderful and wise counselor, the Christmas child, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Joy, joy, joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Well, let's pray.